I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family style homeschooling. Hi there, this is Michelle. And I'm Karen. And today we are going to be answering some of your questions that have come up. And let's start with some people who asked us things um, from the Facebook group. Okay, let's see. The first question says she wants some tips for implementing word work and the writer's workshop. So we have done a couple of whole podcasts on writer's workshop, but we haven't spoken much about word work specifically. So word work, I think the hardest thing for people to grasp is that word work does not have to be exactly what it was for you when you were in elementary school. Word work is basically just spelling and vocabulary. It's mastering words, everything from being able to read and write them to understanding what they mean. And we kind of break it down into a variety of fun methods for mastering words. So word work is word lists combined with activities and games that your kids can use while they're learning their spelling lists, basically. Right. So for my family, word work is always something that is an everyday thing. Yeah. It's we, a constant, it's every day. continual pursuit. And it's every day, but it's in small doses. We do not work on spelling words for an hour. That's never happened in our homeschool. Sometimes the more time you spend, the worse off the kids will be because they begin to get frustrated by that. Word mastery is a tool for writing. And absolutely, you need those tools in your tool belt. It's really, really hard to write a story if you can't even write the words that build the story. But on the other hand, the story is more than just the correct spelling. So I try not to overemphasize word work too much. What do you do, Michelle, when your kids are struggling with spelling? First of all, I don't have them spell more words than they can handle at one time. And that depends on the child. I have children who have some learning disabilities. They've got dyslexia and, and other difficulty reading and writing. And so... For some of them, if they are learning three words that day, that's enough. And it just depends on the kid, you know. And others of mine can do 20 words in a day and they're fine. Yeah. So even though the list that is provided with word work might have 10 words on it, I don't necessarily use them all at once. I'm the same. And often if my kids start out a word work list, at the beginning I'll kind of evaluate and see, okay, how many of these do they actually already know? And if they know most of them on the list, then I say... Yeah, they've mastered those and we go on. Yeah, we do that too. So we we it's don't a process. Keep, we don't practice words they already know. Yeah. And we also don't in in school you got a list on Monday and there was a test on Friday and then you moved on. Mm -hmm. And the next week that, that's not how we do it. We do it in more of a rotating way where we pick up new words and we drop off old words once we've learned them and we just keep going. That's kind of how we do it too. And just because Friday hits, if they didn't know the word that doesn't mean you should go on. Yeah, they we, still need to work on that word. We don't drop it off so. unless I decide, you know what, this word is just not going to work right now. Then I will drop it and we pick it up again in a few months. Yeah, that's really, really easy to do with word work because it's all supposed to be flexible. Essentially, you have a series of lists and then you have a series of activities. And the activities are multi-sensory. Some of them are written activities. Some of them are really active things like throwing bean bags and using hula hoops. The word work activities include lots of variety on purpose because for a lot of kids, they can master those rote memory things like the spelling of words 
a lot better if they're using the different parts of their bodies as they learn. Okay, what about the writer's workshop part of that question? Let's let's talk about a few tips for implementing writer's workshop. Again, like word work, you need to tailor it to your child. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, writer's workshop is being used for kids who are really little all the way up through high school. So it's clearly intended to be an outline. It's a huge brainstorm of ideas for you as, you know, the writing mentor to help your kids to grow as writers. But it's not supposed to be rigid and you must do this this day and you must do this this day. You want them to be continually growing and developing. So, for example, let's incorporate the word work and the writer's workshop. Once they've mastered a word, you should then expect them to spell the word correctly as they're writing. But if they haven't yet mastered that word, I don't expect my kids to spell all of the words correctly. That they haven't mastered every word yet. That's one of the things I like about Writer's Workshop and something that was a paradigm shift for me is that most of our time in, in Writer's Workshop is actually spent on what you would call pre-writing activities where the kids are just writing, writing, writing. Mm-hmm. And they're doing activities that help them spark ideas. And then towards the end of the unit, that's when we do the final writing project when we actually go through the entire writing process and we do editing and they produce a final project where things do have to be spelled right but again they get some help from parents for the level that they're at right it's very personalized it's supposed to be the mentor helping the kiddo to grow and that can only happen when you take the ideas and the framework of writer's workshop and you apply it really individually so my best tip is to make it your own Just make writer's workshop fit you, fit your kids. And same with word work. If you sit there and you think there's some magical list of spelling words that is the perfect order that you should teach words in, you're wrong. And if you think that there are a certain number of words that you should teach every week, you're wrong. You could teach huge lists of words and you still would not have learned all of the words by the time they graduate from high school. It's not even possible. And every spelling list I've ever seen is different. Like there's just not a master list that people must learn in first grade, for example. But for sure, if you see a word that your kid is loving writing, that should be a word that gets added to their word work list. You know, if, if they are writing about unicorns, but they don't know how to spell unicorn, add it to the word work list. Let that be flexible. Let them learn what works for them. I always tell my kids that words are like the tools in their toolbox. They need to have them so that they can build greater and bigger things. If they're going to build a story, they have to have the tools to build the story. So you really think of it as a flexible and individualized plan when you're learning to write this way. Okay, let's go on to the next question. Um, It says, I'd love some tips on creative ways to configure school time. My hubby is chronically ill, so I run the whole house, and I also help run his online business. The largest chunk of time I can ever manage is about one and a half hours. We don't do a Monday through Friday schedule because they're in a nature program on Tuesday, Thursday. I'm currently feeling a little frustrated with creating a somewhat consistent schedule that fits everything in. That's tough. Yeah, that is a tough situation. You have a really different scenario depending on what the ages of your kids are. I'm not sure how old your kids are in that. I mean, for some, for little ones, when my kids were really little, an hour and a half of school is probably all that we did a lot of days, honestly. 
by the time my kids are in high school, I have them learning a lot more independently. And even if I can't be right with them, they're learning a lot on their own. So I might have an hour and a half, but they are spending a lot more time. It's kind of that middle section that you're in the toughest spot where kids are still really relying on their parent being there all of the time, but you don't really have the time to be there consistently, it sounds like. So Michelle, what do you do to help your kids be a little bit more independent in times like that? Well, first of all, if I was having to choose, like if I was having to pick, what am I going to get to today? I probably would decide, okay, first of all, reading, writing, and math are the most important subjects. So I'd focus hardest on those. And then maybe I would pick, you know, a day where, okay, we're always going to make sure we try to hit history on Fridays, for example. And you're just picking one extra subject to try to throw in on that day. So I would, you know, pare my, pare my schedule down a little bit. Maybe that'd be the first thing. Yeah. But then to make kids more independent, first of all, they have to be reading on their own. If they're not, I would really focus on reading skills. Yeah. Because if they're not reading on their own, they really can't be independent. But you can kind of take that family school paradigm and you can say, okay, I'm assuming that this is a child who can read. But you can give them, for example, the history encyclopedia or the library book and say, hey, today you're going to read this and tomorrow you're going to teach everyone about it. You know, like you can put some of the teacher's hat on your kids sometimes and that can help. Now, if they're really little, they're probably not there yet. But if they're really little, you get to spend less time. So there's a little bit of flexibility there. The older they get, the more responsibilities you can give them. Even if it's as simple as, like for example, for several years, I used an online planner, like the OneNote planner that we sell for yeah. 99 cents on layers of learning. I used that and I had video links right in there for my kids. So they could see their planner and there was the video link or the little link to a website that I wanted them to look at about the subject. And I'd tell them, hey, you need to go and learn this today. And then I'd assign them tomorrow you're going to teach it or tomorrow yeah. you're going to write about it or whatever it was. But I did shift a little bit of the responsibility to my kids at times that I couldn't be right as attentive. For me, that came when I had little kids who weren't readers yet, and I had the bigger kids who were. I had to have my bigger kids be a little bit more independent while I helped the little ones. You have a different scenario in this one where you're you're taken by the online business and because your husband needs more help. But whatever the reasons you've got to figure out how to shift a little bit of the learning responsibility to your kids sometimes. And part of part of the question seems to me like she's frustrated with inconsistency. In other words, maybe every day she can't get to school at all, or maybe sometimes her time is in the morning and sometimes it's in the afternoon and sometimes it's in the evening. So in other words, it might be patchy. She might have 20 minutes here and half an hour there and an, and an hour in the evening. And yeah, it can feel scattered. For for that, I think the only thing that can really help is just a paradigm shift in your head. Like realizing that it's okay to grab little chunks of time. Yeah. And just make, make sure that the kids, things are set up in your home so that you can immediately go and get started on school without having to pull things out, put things back. You know, it needs to be an easy situation so that you can head right into school and right out of school. We kind of use like trigger words. So if I say written work, then my kids know what that means. They know that's the math and writing part. It's like our writer's workshop and our math time. They know that. And all I have to say is, okay, it's time for written work. And they pull it out. 
It doesn't matter if that happens in the morning or if it happens after lunch or if it happens in the evening before bedtime. They know what that means and we're ready to go. Yeah. So if you can kind of conceptually divide your day into times where you go, okay, if we have 20 minutes, what is that time for? Maybe that's time for what I would call my morning meeting, but for you, it's happening while you fix dinner. You know, that's totally yeah. okay to be fixing dinner and having a discussion about a piece of artwork. If you know, okay, this is our, maybe you're calling it gathering time. But if you kind of break down your day into parts and then you can flexibly arrange them when your time schedule fits, you can still actually get a lot in without a ton of Without one solid block of time. And one, yeah. yeah, you don't need the solid block. <laughs> Often I find that I have to break our days down more. I'm like, okay, we need to break it up and take like playtime outside in the middle or, you know, have a break. It's not a bad thing to have a broken up day if you have it organized so that it's not creating stress. Yeah. If it's not, then you're going, ah, I'm not getting everything in and you're stressing and, and then all of the learning kind of falls yeah. apart. So a lot of this is probably rethinking how you approach how you're going to organize your day. You're not going to be able to have a solid block of time every day. And that's okay. Yeah. You just have to mentally reorganize it and then reorganize your materials so that you can grab this and grab that. And you really do have to think about things like what can we accomplish when we're driving in the car? What can we accomplish while I'm fixing dinner? Those things are perfectly okay. It, that is learning time. It's just you have to select the right kinds of learning for the right things that are going on in your family. You're not going to do like the big hands-on project when you're in the car, but you might be able to do math facts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or even reading if you're listening to an audiobook, you know, you can, there's a lot of things that you could do. Well, and even things like, a lot of the word work activities you can absolutely do in a quick few minutes without any problem and without many supplies. So certain things you can find that you can go, okay, we can accomplish that in a little window or in kind of those pockets of time that wouldn't be thought of of school, but we're going to utilize them. Okay, let's go to the next question. It asks for tips on homeschooling with a toddler in the house. So she says, my kids are 13, 10, 8, and almost 2. That's a good spread. I've only homeschooled my oldest so far with a little one, so it wasn't so bad. This is our first year homeschooling all of the children at once, and I'm nervous. <laughs> so when when I, I have six children, but they were added one by one slowly to my homeschool, so I was sort of <laughs> eased into it. But to be suddenly dumped with all of them at once, yeah, that's a little... It can feel overwhelming. That can feel overwhelming. I think part of this is going to be just experience, practice. You're going to have to have a break-in period. And give yourself a little grace, you know. I think really often we picture in our minds a little bit too much. Like we we see this picture of the perfect homeschool and what it will be like when all of the kids are actively engaged at every moment in perfect ways. <laughs> and it never happens that way. If somebody tells you it does, they're lying. It doesn't happen that way. Perfection's overrated. <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> I think it's okay that learning is a little bit messy, that things are sometimes a little bit loud when you're doing a whole family style school. I do think though that layers of learning does help with that because when all the kids are learning about the same overall topic, you do get to share in a lot of the learning together instead of being pulled right. too many directions. It's much harder to teach four different lessons at once than is to teach one lesson to four children. Right. You know, 
And, and even where you're talking about the little one, I have been amazed at how much my toddlers, for example, got involved in things that they never would have gotten involved in yeah, in our homeschool. They'll color or do the art project or... They wanted to be involved because yeah. their big siblings were. And yeah, they got off course and they made messes and they, you know, climbed bookshelves and Sometimes things. they're distracting. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Distracting and a little... uh destructive. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, they're learning too. They're learning important things. I did often have little kits for my toddlers. We had like the magnet letters and little puzzles and yeah. maze books, all kinds of little things that they could do that would keep them busy for even just a few minutes at a time. And if it were me, I would schedule the math lesson, which usually kids are each on their own level for math. Mm -hmm. So that, that does mean that you're pulled in multiple directions at once. So I would schedule that for when their toddler is asleep, like for during their nap time. Yeah. You know, anything where you you feel like, oh, I'm really going to be pulled in a lot of directions and it needs time intensive. That's when you, you try to get that done during the nap time. Time and focus intensive. Yeah. Yeah. It, naps are good. But I, uh, one thing that I would say is that while you're never going to reach perfection and while there's going to be a certain level of chaos, especially with a toddler in the house, you still can train your children. And I would spend the first week to a month of your homeschool training your children of what your expectations for behavior. Now with the toddler, that's not really going to work, but your older children need to be trained that if mom has to go and get baby a drink, then what do they do during that time? Do yeah. they wander off and get distracted or do they keep working? You know, you have to train them in their behavior. Like one of the simple things that I've trained my kids to do, I mean, I trained them when they were tiny and they're still doing it, you know, now that they're bigger. If they don't know how to do a math problem, they skip it and they leave space and they go on. If they don't know how to do six math problems in a row, then they leave space for those six math problems and they go on. When I come to them, we go through them and I help teach them that. But they don't stop and they don't wait for me. They go on because we have to get all of it done. And if everybody was always waiting for me, we wouldn't get anything accomplished. So instead, they've learned how to structure even their, their paper so that they have it numbered. They leave the little blank area and then they go on to a problem that they know. Yeah, and, Something and, as simple as that helps everybody's needs, even for things like the rules at your homeschool are going to be slightly different. Mm -hmm. So spend that first month of your homeschool figuring out, okay, what do we need to do? What, what, do, what do our patterns, our behaviors need to be to make this smooth or smoother? Right. Yeah. And then work on making that happen. So when my kids were those ages, we actually did a thing where I would set a timer for 20 to 30 minutes and that was that kid's individualized time for me to help them with their toughest work, whether that was off in the math lesson. If they were learning to read, that was the time that I sat and practiced, you know, the phonics lesson with them and practiced reading. Whatever they needed most at that time, they had that uninterrupted time. And we even did it so that when I had toddlers, there was an older child who was watching the toddler for the 20 minutes or Know, things like that where mom's not going to be interrupted because I really need this 20 minutes. And then we'd take a break and do something together and then I'd have 20 minutes with another kid. But we'd just take it in little bits like that so that we could get a lot done when it was totally one-on-one -on -one in 20 minutes. You can accomplish so much. And the big kids can help with the little kids too. That's actually 
also a really powerful lesson when they learn to take some responsibility for the yeah. little ones. And, and it's important to train them when you want them to do that and when you want them to stay focused on their math. You yeah. know, you, so all of this is training and learning behaviors and patterns. And some of it is trial and error. You have to figure out what's working yeah. in your home and family. And, and just as soon as you figure it out, the kids age up, a new school year comes around and you have to make all the changes. Yeah. For years, I thought someday I'm going to have it perfect. I'm going to get, get this right. It's going to be the perfect schedule. And at the beginning of every year, I'm positive I've got it this time. It's the perfect schedule. A month in, it's not perfect. There is no perfect. You just keep growing. As soon as you figure things out, your kids grow, you grow, and you keep on evolving. But that actually is better than perfect because everybody's changing and growing. Okay, the next question we got, oh, we, we get asked this quite often, actually. So I think this is a good one, Michelle. Um, this mom is wondering about the different resources, specifically like the encyclopedias that we recommend. Like what's the difference between Usborne and Kingfisher and DK? Which one should she get and why, I guess? So what are the differences? Okay, so... Kingfisher, Usborne, and DK are three publishers that do a lot of encyclopedias. So like they have a science encyclopedia, a history encyclopedia. There's art books and geography, you know, like uh, atlases and stuff. All, all of those publishers. And they all coordinate popular. really, really well with the Layers of Learning program. They do. So really, honestly, any of them are fine. If you already own one, Use it. Stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say if you're wondering, like you don't own any of them, Usborne and DK both tend to be more friendly for the younger crowd. And then Kingfisher is a little bit older. They so, are all illustrated with pictures, you know, colorful, yes. interesting pictures and short descriptions, captions, text. Kingfisher, they're, yeah. They're all excellent. But yeah. Kingfisher is a little bit more in depth, uses a little bit deeper vocabulary words just a little and it's got a little more text than the others a little higher reading comprehension but, but it's not out of reach like if, if you were using that if you already owned the kingfisher and you were using it for multiple ages of children it would be just fine to have your six-year-old your eight-year-old and your 12-year-old all learning from it together it'd be fine yeah so whether you're talking about the history one or the science one you know any of those encyclopedia versions we're recommending them all because we recommend them all if there was one we didn't like, we would have said, we don't like this. But actually, we own all of the versions, partly because we wanted to be able to provide that resource for families. And so yeah. we wanted to make sure we liked them. We don't own them because we actually use them every day with our kids. No, like, but it is nice for me. Like, I have two that are very independent learners. And I'll go tell them, hey, I want each of you to go and read the encyclopedia about this topic. And so they go and grab one. They, you know... Jason will choose one, Isabel will choose another, yeah. and they each have their own book. So, I mean, that works for us at the stage that we're at, but you certainly don't need to get more than one. When my kids were younger, I just opened one and we read it aloud as a family and looked at the pictures and talked about it. And it wouldn't have mattered if I had chosen Usborne or Kingfisher. It, it doesn't matter. So that's an easy one to answer. Along with that, though, the next question that she didn't ask, but we do get asked a lot is... Is there a difference in the versions? Like which version is correlated oh. to layers of learning? Yeah. Turns out they just put a new cover on it every few years. They do. <laughs> Some of the times I haven't even been able to find a difference. On occasion, they'll change a, a picture inside or 
a word. Very briefly change <laughs> yeah. a description. But often I'll look at the different versions from year to year. And other than the cover, that new look, even the page numbers still match up. Like if you have the correlation charts and they say, here's the page that goes with this section of layers of learning, the pages match up over the last, I don't know, 12 years at least that we've looked at. Probably more like 20 years. Yeah, but like, I didn't look 20 years yeah. ago at them, but yeah. <laughs> well, I have, my original books are from when my kids were little and it's, oh my gosh, it's it's been almost 20 years and they actually, they're still the same. But if you buy the new versions from this year... Yeah, it will it's, be, it'll be this, the, same. It's the same page numbers. Every time we've yeah. bought new versions just to check on it for all of our users, we want to make sure, okay, is yeah. it still the same? I have never seen a significant difference. Now, in the history ones, they have added a little bit to the end, like a tiny update because history, you know, we're living it. It keeps happening. It keeps happening. <laughs> but for the most part, it doesn't matter which one you get. So if you're going to save 50 bucks by getting a version that's two or three years old, go for it. It's the same thing. You're getting the exact same book with a different cover. Yeah. Or if you already own one, stick yeah. with what you've don't, got. Don't be like us and buy the new ones. We're only buying them to check for you so that you don't have to buy them. So right. that's the only reason Michelle and I own so many versions. But but yeah, I tend to use the ones that we've had forever. And yeah, they're all the same. Yeah, the, actually the, the cover is falling off of a couple of our copies. <laughs> we use them a lot. It's well loved, yeah. well used. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next question. It says, how do you plan what your read-alouds, free reads, and assigned reading are? How do you do that, Michelle? I tend to pick, like, based on the theme of the year. For So, for example, I do not have a book exactly correlate with a particular unit all of the time. Sometimes they do, but they don't have to. That's too hard. Like, it's too hard to make sure that you're finishing up at exactly the right time and starting at exactly the right time. It, it's too hard to say, will I finish this book in the two weeks that I'm doing this unit? Or yeah, And you know, I, I don't want to map out, this to. is exactly how many pages we need to read every day. Some, you know, some days, it's for the read aloud, for example. I will read one chapter, other times I read three chapters. It depends on how long the chapters are, how much time I have. If you have a headache. Yeah, if you have <laughs> a headache, exactly. Yeah, and you can't plan everything that's going to happen in your life. So, so for the, for the kids, basically what I do is I give them a reading list. I say, here are the books I want you to read this year. And I keep it pretty short because I like to also let my children choose about half of their books. So I might assign them three or four books that I want them to read during the year. And then they choose three or four books that they will also read. So for example, Michelle, if you're doing like, I don't know, medieval history, that's a whole year yeah. that you're learning about that. That's year two in layers of learning. And so you'll go through and you'll pick three or four books that you want. Like yeah. I might pick CJ, Adam, Adam of the Road. Maybe yeah. I, I assign one of the children to read Adam of the Road. And then I'll pick, maybe I'll pick one that's science though instead. Right. You know, but, but this is the total number. I pick three or four total books that I expect them to read during the year. And then I also expect them to pick some of their own. But I like to let my kids choose their own reading a lot of the time. So CJ might read 10 books in the year, but I've only assigned him three. But well, he's and, reading them all. And then that's not actually the only thing that your kids read. No, that's yeah. that's the school reading. Like that's the assigned, that's during school time. But I think you do it like me too, where for each unit, when you go to the library and you get the topical books, a lot of those tend to be more than nonfiction. Yeah. 
but don't you put those in a basket like I do? Like yeah. we have them all available and the kids pick them up and read them and we read them together when we're doing a project or I read them out loud. My two oldest read every single thing I put in that basket. So if I brought it home, they read it. They were voracious readers. They read, 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 read. My younger ones have more trouble reading and they're slower readers. So they don't get through as many as the older ones did. But they still, yeah, I have a basket sitting there. And a lot of times that's what they pick from. When I say, okay, it's reading time, go pick something. They can pick something out of the basket. But again, I don't make them pick those things. They also go to the library and they can pick their own books. And sometimes they pick things from off our shelves. So you assign a few and then you have a lot Available. And a lot available. And then what do you do for your read-alouds? Do you pick those ahead of time for the school year? I, I pick those. I, I don't let the children decide on those. In, in fact, in Because you want something ways, you want to read? Well, <laughs> p- partly that. Partly because I, I want those to go with the theme. And I also have great literature that I'm wanting them to... Like, I want them to have heard me read Where the Red Fern Grows aloud. And yeah. so I make sure that I'm picking the things that I want to read to them. That is how I make sure they're getting the the books I want because then they all get it all at the same time and I make sure everyone's read it, you know? Yeah. So this is totally a personal question. This isn't anything to do with the question that was asked of us, but do you find that there are books from our childhood that you're like, I will read that to my kids because yeah. I do that. Like yes. when you said where the red fern grows, grows, like my heart one went of those. pitter patter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yes. You know, that's exactly a lot of them from my childhood that I want to make sure that my children have heard or have read. Because I will you pick love as it as a read aloud because I love it and I want to make sure they share that. So do you feel over the years when you're picking, you know, three or four books a year for your kids and then just expecting them to fill in? I mean. You're not exactly expecting them to fill it in because you are providing a lot more books than that. But do you find that they're well read enough just with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my kids are readers. They read a lot. They read all the time. Like they listen to audiobooks for fun. They don't listen to music. Like (laughs) we're weird. Okay. (laughs) But but anyway, so my, my kids, I find that they're really well read. And I have I have learned that it doesn't matter which books you read. It just matters that you're reading because there are millions upon millions of books out there and there's no way anyone can ever get through them all and they all have something of value. So who am I to say that this one is the one you have to read? My view is that I want them to learn to love information, to learn to love learning, to learn to love reading. That is far more important to me than that they read a particular book. So you just have the mentality that we're always going to read because we're readers and then yeah. it kind of takes off my, from there. My 19-year-old son is a river guide down in Riggins. So he's he's a rafting guide. Okay, yeah. that's what he's doing this summer for his job. He came home one week in the middle of the summer. And part of the reason that he needed to come home is because he needed to restock his books. He ran out? R- Riggins is a tiny little town and they don't have much in the way of a library and there's no bookstores. It's like, there's it's a tiny town. It exists for the rafting. So he had so, to come to the family yes, library. Yes, he had to come to the family library and he's browsing the shelves and I had bought all these books in the in the interim. And so he's like, he's like, ooh, I haven't read this version of Sun Tzu. And like he's grabbing... <laughs> I can't remember what he got, the Dante's Inferno. He's like, oh, I haven't read Dante's Inferno yet. This is a kid who's dyslexic and his love in life is rafting and outdoor stuff. But he's reading Dante's Inferno for fun. In his hammock by the river. In his hammock by the river. (laughs) And this is the kind of, this was my goal all along is to get kids that love to read. I think this is interesting because 
I actually think you accomplished your goal because you didn't assign so That's much. exactly what I'm saying here. Yeah. It's, it's because I allowed them to learn to love reading. I didn't assign very much. Yeah, you let the love of reading be more important than the assignment yeah. of reading. Yeah, we, we don't write about our reading. We don't do discussion questions. I mean, sometimes we discuss books, but it's in a very organic, natural way. It's my not kids, graded. My kids approach me with discussions more often than I approach them with discussions about books. Yeah, I think that it comes from you don't evaluate their reading. You don't grade their reading. Yeah. You celebrate it. Yeah. You ask them like, hey, what are you reading? Yeah. Not like... What are you reading so I can write that down and check it off? And yeah, and they they <sighs> share books with me as often as I share books with them. Hey, mom, have you read this? You know, and I try to read what they recommend because it shows them that I'm that you care that, that you're I care invested. and that I'm invested and I their their opinion is interesting to me and we we can talk about the same things then. Well, I can totally see. I mean, you already have several adult children, but I can totally fast forward in my mind and see your kids all as grownups and still talking books with you. Like, yeah, <laughs> I can totally see that happening. No, I, I do it very much the same way that you do. Like I assign a few, I make a ton available. Yeah. And I think that is like a magical way to have it just happen without you stressing about it. And it doesn't automatically happen with the kid who doesn't want to read and is holding the book and pretending like sometimes yeah. you do have to, be right by their side when they're little. Well, and there are all kinds of personalities. My children, even though they have some learning disabilities and have dyslexia and things, they are all introverts. And introverts tend to like quieter activities. They like to do things that are inside their heads. So they, even though they have some learning disabilities, they still have a natural tendency towards that kind of activity, towards reading. Yeah. And so not every kid is going to have the outcome that my kids have had because every kid's not the same. Yeah. So even if you did the exact same things I have done, that doesn't necessarily mean that your kids are going to go read Dante's Inferno for fun by the river. Yeah, well, my but, my oldest daughter, I would say that she's probably my easiest one. Like, she was my easiest one to teach how to read. And she is a natural writer. She's probably the most quintessential student in our family, you know, she will always succeed in school because she just has the school skills. But out of all of my kids, she is the one who would say, I am not a reader. I mean, she reads. She knows she's a competent and capable reader, but she doesn't love to She read. doesn't gravitate to that. She doesn't gravitate to it. She does read. She reads every day, but that's because it's kind of an expected part of our lives. And it's because that's what we're all doing. So we just do it. It's not like I have to force her. It's just kind of culturally yeah. in our family what we do. There's there's a lot of different ways of learning though. Yeah. And reading is just one of them. So. And I made sure that she got to the point where she is capable and she's not unhappy reading, but she would rather be on a wakeboard, you know, yeah. like she is more extroverted. She is super adventurous and she will always be that way. But she is well read because we were surrounded by books. Yeah. Ev books are in every room of our home. And and just like just like we were talking about the spelling words, there's not a definitive list of books that you must read to be well read. That's that doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. Well read means you read a lot. You've read a lot of things, you have a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. And she's incredibly capable. So when she needs to learn something, she knows where to go. You know, she knows how to find books. Yeah. She knows how to look things up. She knows how to research and understand and evaluate and all of those things. So she reached the point where I'm very, very happy with it. 
And I wouldn't even say that she won't be a lifelong reader because she will be. She will read stories to her kids because she grew up loving our read-alouds. You know, Mm -hmm. we had a total culture of books in my family too. And so she has that inside of her, but she will never consider herself like, oh, I love books. I'm such a reader. And that's okay. To go along with the reading question, another of our families asked, what do we do if we can't find books from the library list? So first of all, depending on the library you have, you may have very little available. And that's part of the reason that we have the encyclopedias as one of our resource lists. You know, we, we encourage you to have an encyclopedia on hand because those will have everything in it. Everything that's in layers of learning is in those encyclopedias. Yeah, it at least provides you the basics. You can, yeah, you can at least get your basic information. And I found that the Usborne Encyclopedia was really, even though it was written for kids, it was very thorough. Like I learned so much the first time I read through that with my children. And that was as an adult. You that were was as an adult. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that those encyclopedias are an excellent resource to use as your backup or just, it doesn't have to be because you can't find books. You can still just use them all the time. And we use them frequently and we have a lot of books available. And we also try really hard to provide web links. We have the YouTube playlist for families so that if you've got tough topics where you weren't able to find things, and also if you just don't have time, I mean, honestly, there are weeks where it's like a library visit is not in the cards. I can't yeah. do it. Well, and, and sometimes you know, the, the YouTube playlist is of people who have made videos on YouTube on these various topics, and they are really well done, a lot of them. They tend to be experts on the topics and love the topics that they're talking about. Yeah, and so. a lot, they, you can treat it as though your child, this is their lecture. This is as though they were sitting in a class getting taught by a great teacher. Yeah. And that I often use the, the YouTube playlist in that way. That is our information rather than a book. I mean, we use both. It just depends, but well, and it's a great resource too. We also called it a library list very intentionally. We actually considered and mulled over, what do we call this? And we decided we're calling it a library list because we want people to understand you don't have to have all of these books. You don't have to buy all of these books. And we include library search terms so that in your library, they may not have the books that we recommend that we've said, hey, we like this, but they might have something else on the topic. So try searching out your library. Often now, libraries have a lot of resources beyond what's physically in their building. Yeah. They often will offer like overdrive accounts or that, is it that's, epic, yeah, epic and, accounts. And, and the, those are where you can get online books, you can get ebooks, audiobooks. Kindle books, a lot all of, kinds of things. Uh, like libraries that. are also going to a model where they share with other libraries and they share very freely. And so they'll be in a network of libraries and you can get a library from your region or sometimes from anywhere in your state or, you know, other libraries that are nearby, they will share with each other. And if you order them in time, if you plan ahead a little bit, you can get them brought to your local library. It is definitely worth taking a few minutes to talk to your librarian and say, hey, what resources are available? Often the library websites will tell you some, but if you get a chance and you can talk to one of the librarians, they're often super, super helpful. And we always come to the point with all of our libraries where our librarians know us because yeah. we frequent the library pretty often. 
And I loved, you used to have the bookmobile come to your house, Michelle. Oh, yeah, they still do. And well, but I, <laughs> I don't know if this still happens or not, but I remember you telling me that she would be aware of like what you guys were learning about and she'd bring you extra books on the oh, subjects. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could see you were learning about the American Revolution, so I brought you this one too. <laughs> it yeah. was really nice. Yeah. So if you get to know your librarian, sometimes it can be invaluable. They're really good providers of resources. Some libraries are very good about getting you the materials. And like our library is, it's a pretty good library, but is it in a small town? And so it's not a huge library. So if we request a book though, they will often just buy it for us. It takes, you know, a month or six weeks because that's a long process for the library to get a new book in and process it and everything. But they will actually buy them for us. So, you know, ask your library, is there any chance that we might get one of these books? And then, of course, if you can afford a few books, I would pick, you know, your favorite topics through the year. Maybe three or four topics and get one book on each of those topics and have it be kind of your extra this is outside of our normal encyclopedia. Yeah, we get a lot of families who say, I couldn't get everything on the library list. And I always say, you weren't intended to. Yeah, you're we really not supposed to get We don't want you to get any everything. of them, really. But if you want to get some of them, you can. We encourage you to read and explore topics through books and the internet and videos and, you know, experts. Anyone that you can go to, you're exploring and you're learning, you're researching but you're not actually expected to watch every video and read every book and do would, all of the yeah. things. You, you would never have time. Yeah. But, so let go of that and just take it as a library list of good recommendations. So those are good questions this week. Yeah. Thank you for your questions and keep them coming. We love uh, interacting with everybody in the Facebook group and we love it when we get emails from you. So keep the questions coming and enjoy learning with your families. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating wherever you listen. Ratings and comments help people find happy family-style homeschooling. Visit us at layersoflearning.com, at Instagram, and on our Facebook group. And make sure to tune in next month for the next podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have fun learning! learning.